Under Milkwood, one of the best known and loved creations of the great Welsh poet Dylan Thomas, he called it his play for voices. Those voices belonging to the colourful inhabitants and the living and the dead of a fictional Welsh village called Hlaregeb. And if you want to get a sense of Thomas's wit, look at Hlaregeb and read it backwards and the phrase will tell you how witty Thomas was. It began as a BBC radio drama starring Richard Burton in 1954, a year after Thomas's early death at the age of 39. It has since been adapted for stage, cinema and TV. And now Keris Matthews, author, broadcaster and former member of the band Catatonia, has adapted it for younger readers as a picture book with beautiful illustrations by Kate Evans. I'll be speaking with Keris Matthews shortly. But first of all, let us hear how she reads the opening of Thomas's famous work. To begin at the beginning. It is spring, moonless night in the small town. Starless and Bible black, the cobble street silent, and the hunched quarters and rabbits wood limping invisible down to the slow black, slow black, crow black, fishing boat bobbin sea. The houses are blind as moles, and all the people of the lulled and dumbfound town are sleeping now. Hush, the babies are sleeping. The farmers, the fishers, the tradesmen and pensioners, cobbler, schoolteacher, postman and publican, the undertaker, dressmaker, preacher and policeman. You can hear the hush town breathing. And that's Karis Matthews with the opening of Dylan Thomas's Under Milkwood in a retelling by Karis Matthews. And delighted to have Karis join us this evening uh, from Wales, uh, a place that is enmeshed in football at the moment. And I'm sure we will talk a little bit about that shortly, Karis. But let us talk about Under Milkwood. Uh, you know, when, when I listen to those opening lines as you read them there, he paints such pictures as he describes this this village, which is so interesting in its backward spelling. Huh. Yeah, you describe it as wit. Well, this this wit or sense of very mischievous humour um, is all over under Milkwood. And that's why, you know, I was sort of telling my children about it. And they were at the time, they were about two years old and five years old. Um, I just thought, oh my gosh, for, it, it just suddenly occurred to me um, this play for voices was perfect uh, for a bedtime story for little ones because it was full of characters that you could, um, you know, voice and and have different um, accents and all the rest of it for them all. And and this whole world that he paints is Mm. is just gorgeous and funny. All the things that you find in a book like Gruffalo or Wonky Donkey or any, you know, Goodnight Moon or any of your favourites, it's all in under Milkwood. It just needed to be, you know, slight. It's his words. You just heard a bit of the under Milkwood retelling now that I was reading mm. from. It's Dylan Thomas's words. I was not going to rewrite Dylan Thomas. I just wanted it to open the door to a much younger um, audience that couldn't quite have enough adult teeth to, to to bite into the adult version quite yet. Yeah, no, I mean, there are little bits here and there, I suppose, of untoward conversations around Organ Morgan, <laughs> for example, and um, some of the oh. previous lovers of Captain Cat. You may have had to oh, but, expunge but the, those a bit, me, did you? <laughs> no, when Rosie Probert is still there, coming up, boys, you know, <laughs> we shared the same girl once, and Organ Morgan is still, he still loves to play his organ, but like, like films and like everything, like books like fairy tales 
you know, children will see see it, uh, take it in to uh, appropriate to their age. We might know what Claregib is backwards, but they won't know if you don't tell them until they're <laughs> sort of old enough to cope with that, or you want them to cope with that. They they will just see Argan Morgan, and and you know, I've I've cast these characters, and a lot of the characters in the book have um, people, real people in the real world that they're cast on, uh, that happen to be massive Dylan Thomas fans, mm. and Argan Morgan is one. I'm not going to tell you who it is, but he's a very well-known, famous musician. So he's there playing his organ, his the the ivories on on his sills to the girls <laughs> as he does. So and and these are all in the illustrations by Kate Evans, and they're just they are wonderful. Wonderful images. I have to say the illustrations are absolutely beautiful. I was looking at some of them today, Karis, and she really gets that slightly off kilter wonky sense, I suppose, that's there in the (laughs) characterisation and the, the sounds that Dylan Thomas gives us. She picks up on that perfectly. Yeah, well, we we knew we had a mountain to climb because this is a beloved piece of art and work and it's in people's imaginations and it has been for decades. So we knew it was a big mountain and we knew having cut, having to, you know, cruelly cut some of the text mm. in order to make it a 20 minute bedtime story. We couldn't lose that detail in the illustrations so you'll see so much of the detail of the text like the little mice with gloves on and the flying black flower and the pairings that fly around at dusk you know the bottle tops and the dandruff and stuff like that and yeah Kate was absolutely incredible she uses um, old-fashioned technique as well even though she's got a young fresh eye um, so that it in itself, it becomes a timeless um, form of art as well. And and there's even a point at which which of the characters is it that that throws open the windows and hollers out to the town? But where <laughs> the text is written in such a clever way, in that you have the the beginning of the text on the on the top left hand corner of the page, and then the windows are thrown open, and the words are literally coming out of the window the way it's illustrated. Was it was that yeah. Kate's work again? The placing of the text, or were you involved in the placing of the text on the page? Oh, I was involved very, very closely with that thing. Kate was so patient with me. <laughs> I mean, this is 10 years in the making and I've lived it and loved it. And it had to be, you know, to, to take this piece of work and to make it work, it, it had to, every detail mattered. And I love that. I love that. It's, it's, um, um, it's made from it's from uh, the sailor's arms, the landlady, and she goes, "I'm eighty three mm. years in a day. Praise the Lord who made porridge, <laughs> you know." And she's gorgeous, and that's the thing with Under Milkwood. It's all ages. You see multi generational families, and you know the thing is with with Under Milkwood as well. It it isn't just for people in Wales, you know. It's it's the beauty and and the and the genius of Dylan. Dylan's writing is that he's talking about mankind, yeah. not just Welsh mankind, but uh, you know, or the football player Welsh, or whatever. It's it, it's it's human beings, warts and all, and you know, you've got all sorts of people that we will recognise, like the drunkard, the womanizer, the mm. lazy person, the 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 um, neat freak, clean freak person. You know, the the one who's. Oh, I mean, they're all in there. 
um, the children that's the bully and the, and the one that's quiet yeah. and the, the musician you know everyone's in there and what I'm just interesting since you have adapted this slightly um, as you said some of it cut up but the, illust- the illustrations are such a help I think to, to young readers and if you were reading it to young mm-hmm. readers to be, for them to be looking at those illustrations as you read would be hugely hugely helpful when did you first come across Andre Milkwood how, how young a child were you was it very much part of a Welsh childhood to be read Andre Milkwood do you know what I wish I could say yes but it, it's kind of like you know when you if you live next to a castle <laughs> you never go in it and <laughs> it's kind of that kind of thing it's like I lived I grew up in Swansea where Dylan Thomas grew mm. up and had the same view you know that there's a crescent crescent shaped bay with what we call granny's custard in it because everyone who's like a tourist comes in and thinks oh we'll go and dip our toes in the sea and they get covered <laughs> in this coal sludge and we go oh they got stuck in the granny's custard you know it's the kind of a local knowledge thing so yeah we didn't and it wasn't on my in, on the curriculum in, in the schools I went to um, and there was a there was a family connection which is like lots of um, Colin Edwards did a, uh, my uncle did mm. all these interviews with the family after Dylan Thomas died way too soon so there's been I mean he's been in my life all yeah. my life but but I it took me until I had children. I was pre- actually when I was pregnant with my first child, I found a child's Christmas on an ornament, a miniature of a child's Christmas on a, on a Christmas tree, and it was then that I realised, you know, it, he, you know, his works like um, Robert Burns or W. B. Yeats or yeah. Joyce. You you start reading their work and they they stay in your brains. And yes, yes, yes. You know, all these little yes, yes, yeses from Joyce or whatever, they yeah. just get stuck in your brain and you travel with them all your life. Um, and that's what the, the, the great writer will do. And that's what I love about this work. And then if we can introduce it to very, very young children, yeah. you know, they'll have much, you'll have a longer time with this text, you know. And it, and it struck me, I was listening to part of a documentary you made yourself uh, about your, your uncle, Colin Edwards, who had who was yeah. very keen. He spent he interviewed an awful, a huge number of people around the life of Dylan Thomas, because Thomas had died very young. There was always this idea yeah. of, oh, Thomas and the drink it was the drink that killed him type of thing uh, he wanted to kind of knock that idea to a certain extent on on the head he, he is it do you think that in fact the 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 life of Dylan Thomas and drink is that an exaggeration oh listen he was working really hard in terms of touring he was away from home there was nobody making sure he had any structure in his life at the time he had money issues he always had money issues but he was in america the 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 um the, the amount of spirits that they would be serving per, per serving was much bigger but basically what what these um interviews and reading all the documentation Basically, what it reveals is that, yes, he drank too much that night. And yes, he drank too much in general, but he had lung issues. Mm. And the doctor gave him opiates and opiates are known to repress um, breathing. Um, and if he had pneumonia and then they gave him opiates on top of a weak lung and all of this alcohol problems, then that's what actually ultimately 
tipped him over into into a, a very very young um, death. So it it, it was um, lung problems um, mm. that really tipped him over, and that's what the, the documentation says. Uh, you, and you can you can read that in in, in books yeah, um, and, and, that, and that have been written. I think it was very important to you to your uncle Colin Edwards that 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 was known. Can I listen to another version, a very well known version of Under oh, Milkwood? Yes, please. Let's have a Let's. listen to that wonderful voice, the voice of Richard Burton. It is spring, moonless night in the small town, starless and Bible black. The cobble streets silent and the hunched quarters and rabbits wood limping invisible down to the slow black fishing boat bobbing sea. The houses are blind as moles, or blind as Captain Cat, there in the muffled middle by the pump and the town clock, the shops in mourning, the welfare hall in widow's weeds and all the people of the lulled and dumbfound town are sleeping now. Listen, it is night moving in the streets. It is the grass growing on Claregib Hill. That is the voice of Richard Burton. Even to come off the back of a... a, a <laughs> as an announcer off the back of Richard Burton is an intimidating act, Keris Matthews. When you, you have given us, obviously, Keris Matthews speaking to us this evening about uh, Under Milkwood and her version of Dylan Thomas's Under Milkwood, a retelling by Keris Matthews. How intimidating is it to hear that version <laughs> and to even open your mouth anywhere near the words of Dylan <laughs> Thomas when you've heard Richard Burton doing it? Oh, I know. I'm, I'm such a fan. We're all such fans. And, you know, he, he requested that a book of poetry by Dylan Thomas was buried with him in his coffin, Richard Burton. Mm. And I, I just I just love the idea of this, again, very complex man who obviously had, his, you know, darknesses that he was dealing with as well. Loving literature. There was this um, documentary about Richard Burton and he, he, he wasn't able to sleep very well and he would read and read and read. And I just this image of this man forever hungry for whatever the answer we're looking for, you know. Yes, intimidating. But, you know, ultimately when, when you read Under Milkwood and, and it comes out loud and clear when you reduce it down, is it's a story of hope and love. It is ultimately this story of love is is a quote from Under Milkwood, this place of love. And then you talk about Mrs. Diebread one and Mrs. Diebread two mm. saying, what do you see, lovey? What do you see? I see text, text over the bed. And it says, and what's it say? It says, God is love. And, and, and so it's, it's ultimately this this story of hope and love, and I, I think Richard Burton set aside. He's he's God, and so is Dylan <laughs> Thomas. But it doesn't mean that we underlings can't give it a little shot as well. Know, and, yeah. and, and when you're in in the bedroom with your own children, it, nobody else can listen. You know, it's for the children. <laughs> nobody else will judge. Only yourself will know how good Richard Burton can do it. Yeah. You know, but it shouldn't stop us yeah. us trying. You know, they can come to they can come to Richard Burton later in life. But the Richard Burton reading of it in particular and you know yes of course he was Welsh but the Welsh accent is not it's not as strong as your own Welsh accent and I think the the Welsh accent obviously really suits the writing of Dylan Thomas but the Richard Burton uh, delivery of it is quite um, received pronunciation or close to received pronunciation I would argue at any stage but it does show the sounds that Dylan Thomas was was using, and I know that that is another thing that uh, your uncle Colin Edwards was keen to uh, disperse. This idea that all that Dylan Thomas did was write sounds; he didn't write anything else. There was no real meaning in there, or the meaning wasn't as strong as some other poets uh, seem to want. 
I think I think it, this comes down to well two things really a regionalism and mm. this sort of like um, acceptance of home county um, or should I say English kind of writers <laughs> academic writers can I say that um, and and also if you get too popular you're a big target so there's two yeah. two elements at play here you know and I I mean you you go to his writing. I mean, he wrote some of the best poetry ever when he was in a teenager. In fact, under Milkwood, he began when he was still in school. Um, and, and the longevity of his work and the amount that people love it and the amount that you can get out of it is uh, t- is, is the truth that I'm looking yeah. for. You know, I, I don't need to, to have anyone tell me how good or bad it is. Yeah, exactly I know that. how uh, much it gives me. And I must say, when you when you gave us the yes, yes, yes lines from of yeah. James Joyce, it struck me. Yeah. It, well, there is exactly the same thing. That's as much sound uh, as it is meaning. The two are you can't separate one from the other, really. Uh, yeah. But but mm-hmm. I, I do have to finish up with wondering how you're feeling today. Not a, not a great day for the footballers, <laughs> I'm afraid, was it? No, and Iran deserved that win. Mm. I, 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 they definitely deserved that win. And, um, you know, good luck with everything that's going on in, in Iran as well. They're, they're, they're dealing with a lot more than we can ever imagine here in, in, uh, in the UK at the moment, and, and Ireland too, if I dare say. Um, so, um, yeah. <laughs> no begrudgery, no begrudgery, yeah. No, not, a, not at all. I mean... I'm just trying to enjoy football as, as something that we can all enjoy together that we, that we all have in common and all the rest of it. So, but uh, there's a, there's a, it's complicated this year, isn't it? Way more complicated than, than I remember it being. Yeah. Um, this whole idea of trying to just enjoy a sport, a world sport, it's, it's very much more complicated. Yeah, well, look, let's see what happens in the third match. Who knows? There have been many upsets. <laughs> there have been many upsets already in, in Qatar around what there, around there the football. There really have. You know, there may be more. Yeah, absolutely. And Honestly. anyway, you can always recite Dylan Thomas to, to, to soothe yourself if things go wrong in the third and final. Could I, well, could I read you a tiny little bit more to say goodnight? Oh, of course you could. That would be lovely. Okay. It is all at once night now. The windy town is a hill of windows. And from the larruped waves, the lights of the lamps in the windows call back the day and the dead that have run away to sea. All over the calling dark, babies and old men are bribed and lullabied to sleep. I want my pipe and he wants his bottle. rock a grandpa in the treetop. When the wind blows... The cradle will rock. Oh, Karis Matthews, you're lucky children to be sent off to sleep with that voice <laughs> at night. Absolutely beautiful. <laughs> Thanks for joining us this evening, Karis. Honestly, such a pleasure. That's pleasure. Yeah. Got it, my <laughs> Thanks, Karis. All the best. Bye now. That's Karis Matthews and that new version of Under Milkwood with absolutely beautiful illustrations and there is an audio version, I believe, as well with Karis reading um, the version Under Milkwood is published by Weidenfeld and Nicholson.
The 16th Waterford International Film Festival is currently underway with entries from all over the world, including America, France, Germany, Turkey, China, Korea and Australia. The film festival is the first in Ireland to have a short screenplay competition to support and recognise the talent of new and emerging writers of the short story format. Dead Dog is one of the short films selected, telling the story of an out-of-work comedian who seeks his who sees his luck change after making a social media post about his dying dog, Elsa. The film is written, produced by and stars actor and comedian Joe Rooney and delighted to have uh, Joe with us on the programme this evening. Joe Rooney, uh, uh, a guy who's playing a character called Joe, uh, who's a comedian. I wonder on whom is this character based, Joe? <laughs> yeah, it's pretty obvious. I, I actually was going to change the name. I mean, uh, I was just put put the name in Joe Rooney because I couldn't think of a name. But then uh, Colm, who's directing it, said, oh, just leave it as yourself. So, yeah, there you go. I spent uh, over 50 years researching this part. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't tell me that part of the research involved going through the difficult experience that the character of Joe has to go through with a dog called Elsa. <laughs> Uh, no, no, no. I haven't got. Uh, no, no. I had no problem. Um, I mean, I've had dog problems. Uh, I lost. A, I had a dog kidnapped at one point, and I got it back. But that's another story. <laughs> <laughs> that's going to be the sequel to to um, Dead Dog. Um, I, I suppose yeah. you, I, I want to play a clip, but to, before I get to that, you need to give us a little bit of the of the setup of uh, if you would, Joe. Joe is this. He's having yeah. real difficulties in terms of the career. The agent doesn't want to get any calls from him at all, not interested uh, and, yeah. and has all sorts of ideas that he should kind of go towards causes for uh, his comedy material. Uh, she, she's talking about, yeah. Sarah Furlong plays the agent. She's talking at, at one point about how different people have used different causes, you know, sad events in yeah. their life to, to make the comedy. Yeah. Is that something that's going on in the comedy world, do you think? Uh, yeah. Uh, well, explain that so. to when us, first of all. Well, I think it came, uh, it maybe has changed now, but certainly there was a period where uh, if you were doing an Edinburgh show, uh, you seemed to, you couldn't just do a show that was uh, just jokes. It had to have some serious, the serious bit in the middle or at the end, the 10 minutes where you go and, you know, you, you take on something, maybe whatever it was, where it's, um, a tragic event in your life. And it was almost the point where something tragic happened to you. Uh, one of your comedian friends would go, you could do an Edinburgh show about that. Like almost, what an opportunity mm. <laughs> to do an Edinburgh show. And uh, it, it was something, a conversation I had with Pat McDonald about that. And that's where the, that's where I was inspired to write this script. Yeah. Yeah. And Patrick actually so, plays, he plays a character in the, in the piece as well. He, he works in the vet's office where, the character yeah. of Joe bring, brings the dog. Yeah, uh, however, let's yeah. have a let's have a listen to a clip from the film. Then Joe, uh, where it, it is you here. You've heard bad news about Elsa the dog. She's very sick and isn't long for this life. And you decide to go on social media, which the character of Joe has not done very often. You decide to go on social media and to share with people um, your feelings around what's happening to your dog, Elsa. There's a little bit of language in the midst of this. Nothing too rough, but it's there nonetheless. Okay, look. I don't normally do this social media crap, but um, 
I've had a few glasses of wine and maybe I'll regret this, but I've been looking at photos and videos of Elsa. I should explain, Elsa is my dog. And I've just been told today that she has one week to live. On the bright side, that's seven weeks in dog weeks, but... Well, I mean, she's no spring chicken, but when I first got her, and she's a rescue dog, she seemed to get a new lease of life. Especially when the kids were around. I mean, they're not around anymore, but... Like, Elsa's the first face I see when I wake up in the morning, you know? And when I come home, and I open the door, the first thing I hear is the clickety-clack of her feet on the floor. but I, I'm really going to miss her. And that is a clip from Dead Dog, one of the short screenplays that is part of the Waterford Film Festival and uh, writer and producer and actor in the, in the film Dead Dog, Joe Rooney, is talking to me this evening. Uh, the irony is, Joe, of course, that this changes everything for your character, Joe. Yeah, yeah. Well, you see, I suppose the irony is, yeah, yeah. Well, I don't want to give away the. Yeah, yeah. No, no. You, you don't. You don't need to tell us that. No, no. But, but yeah, yeah. But uh, the fact that he puts this post up, uh, he becomes everybody wants him. He wants yeah. the late late show wants him. The, all the newspapers want to talk to him, and uh, and then there's a dilemma later. But I can't talk about that. No, do you, but, you don't uh, don't. <laughs> but. Yeah, no, it's an interesting thing. I mean, like, for a comedian of my age, I guess there's certain things that have changed, as in social media. A lot of comedian, a lot of younger comedians become famous from social media before they've ever so, uh, stepped foot on a stage, you know? And, um, uh, yeah, it's, it's a, mm. just a weird thing to have to get wrap your mind around when you're at my age, you know. Yeah, and, I, I know, uh, yeah, I wondered about that, you know, to, to what extent, you know, is there a little bit of bitterness in the, in the midst of all of that, watching things like that happen? Or is, you know, is there something else going on? Are you slightly bemused about how that can happen? You know, somebody puts up a couple of posts and suddenly they're the, the next best thing. Um, there could be a bit of, bit of, of bitterness there, <laughs> but, uh, um, I mean, I've got, I've got used to the whole social media thing, but it's very, it's, it's almost a full-time thing for certain people. It, they, they think about how many posts to put up a week. One of them should be video for them should be, um, just uh, photographs or whatever. And I, put, you know, it, it, I don't know. It's just a different way of looking at things, I guess. And it's just kind of strange from someone who you had to go and do your live gigs mm. and learn that way. And uh, yeah, you know, I mean, I'm kind of getting my head around it now. I'm studying in DCU, studying uh, social, uh, sorry, in multimedia. And uh, so I'm, my fellow students are in their 20s. So I'm kind of learning actually yeah. the, how, how to get, how to use it. Uh, but of course, it's a very difficult thing with social media because you don't know how much to reveal about yourself 
do you just put up a, a, a facade of yourself or do you actually tell truths? You know, some people use it as a confessional thing. And I, I, but you don't want to put too much of yourself out there. So, you know, it's a very hard thing to, even for younger people, to yeah. navigate. But know? I guess that's that's yeah. kind of part of the, the, the comedian's uh, work practice, isn't it, really? When you're doing a set up on stage, uh, how much of it is actually something that really happened to you and how much of it is kind of taking something that sort of happened and turning it into something else, but making it sound like it's it's very real. It well, is. Uh, yeah, no, I, I think it, it it all comes from something real, or it should do. I think if you're if you're a proper comedian, it should come from something real. Uh, you, but you're making light of it. I think even that film, to be honest, this film Dead Dog does come from something real for for me as well. You know, so um, but I'm making. I'm turning it on his head and, and making yeah. a, I, I think it's serious, but it's also funny. You know? Yeah, well, of course, that's kind of what comedy is, isn't it? There's a bit of tragedy with a bit of time at it and suddenly you've got, suddenly you've got comedy. <laughs> yeah, right. But let, yeah, let me just say yeah. one other thing about the clip that we heard there. Um, whose was the music that we were listening to? Uh, Brian Byrne, who's like a Golden Globe nominee uh, composer. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and uh, he's brilliant. And I, he asked me to be in a musical uh, called Angel of Broadway that was with the, actually performed in the National Concert Hall uh, with the RT Orchestra. And uh, I did a small part in that. I don't know why he asked me to do it, but he must have saw that I, I do a bit of singing in my act, you know. Hmm. And uh, so I've kind of been friends with him since. And I told him about the film and he offered to uh, compose the music for it, which is incredible for a short a, yeah. like a short film it's amazing yeah well clearly um, um, you, you've you've got a, a bitten a ca- bitten by a, some different kind of bugs since you're doing that study in the multimedia in, in Dublin City University um, you know th- yeah. th- and the fact Joe that they, there were I think 170 entries whittled down to 80 semi-finalists and now 20 finalists um, I suppose that's a stamp of approval is it sending you thinking about a, a, a slight move in that direction Oh, absolutely! Yeah, I mean that's what I'm. That's what I'm studying. I'm studying script writing and audio and video production, and definitely I want to write and direct. Yeah, that's definitely the direction I want to go in. Absolutely. Well, so yeah. this is a good first step. I hope. Well, listen. Best of luck with it, and and, and uh, I hope it does well for you at the festival when they when they whittle the twenty down to whatever it is. Then three, two, one. Thanks for being with us this evening, Joe. That's it, Joe Rooney, writer, producer, comedian, and actor, telling us about his short film Dead Dog, which features in this year's Waterford International Film Festival currently underway runs through until November 27th. Let us get into our album reviews then. Now this week, Brit rapper Stormzy's new 12-track offering is called This Is What I Mean, an album he hopes will move you and capture your imagination. Meanwhile, Wicklow musician Anna Mika has released her second album, suggesting lots of crossover arts references in the name Theatre. And former Undertones multi-instrumentalist Damien O'Neill's third album is out called Uncrown. Eamon Sweeney, Lauren Murphy have had their headphones clasped to their ears for the past few days. They will share their views with us uh, on the music on tonight's programme. Let us start with the big one, Stormzy. And here is a track called Fire and Water. I was standing by the water, do we drip or drown? Running around in circles, bro, just let her walk. Listening to lessons, that's a lesson taught. Second guessing's really got you having second thoughts. Second thoughts never hurt nobody, everybody has them. Give you orgasms. More than you can fathom Think I missed the touch Even more than we imagined If I saw you right now Girl, I wonder what would happen Orange G-Wagon You can park it on the drive 
I was meant to be there when you're starting up your life You make your people proud, you're a star in all our eyes With your apartment in the skies, I scarred you in my lies The calm is a nice, you said I hope it doubles back on you When I double back, I never double back to rattle you Hate to see you leave, but I love to see the back of you I take you out to eat, and after that I make a snack of you I never put my hand on you, still the biggest fan of you Good for me like collard greens and runner beans and callaloo Every single day I close my eyes and try and channel you Drive from memory lane and then I see you by the avenue but It's probably best we wait Fire and Water, the opening track on Storms' new album, This Is What I Mean. Eamon Sweeney and Lauren Murphy, as I said, are reviewers on this Friday evening. Eamon, it would seem that rappers can have their hearts broken and rappers can seduce with their music as well. Storms in a very mellow and heartbroken mood on this album. Absolutely. It's heartbroken. Well, he was in quite a high profile relationship with the radio and TV presenter Maya Jama. Uh, they split up in 2019 and he's been very open in the uh, the press about mm. that. Indeed, she has as well. And I think the rumour mill is uh, in overdrive that they were spotted together in London during the week, that maybe the romance has been reignited. Um, but certainly, you're right, it's seductive, it's slinky, it's slow. It's those S words you wouldn't exactly associate with Stormzy uh, or indeed grime or more. This is more pop grime yeah. really, rather than, you know, the, yeah. the grime that started a couple of years ago. It's gone a, it's a long way kind of from its roots. And indeed, he, he got a lot of flack about that from Wiley. He would, would have been one of the kind of influential grime MCs. And out of that flack, he wrote Big, uh, Big Fear Boots, which is, yeah. talk about diss tracks, that's as good as it gets. But um, yeah, this is this is different. Yeah. Very different, yeah. and yeah. Let's let's yeah. let's go to Lauren on it. Lauren, he if Stormzy said in, in an Instagram post that he was not quote a calculated mastermind about his music. He just hoped that his new album would show his critics that he would do whatever he likes. Is is that what he's at on this album? Just saying, look, this is what I want to do, so it's what I'm going to do. I think it kind of is. And I mean, he's at the the point of his career now where he can do that without upsetting too many people. I mean, that big Glastonbury headline performance in 2019 was huge for both him and for the genre of grime. And I think he can kind of do no wrong since then. So if he wants to make an album like this, he can. Um, But as much as it is a sidestep away from grime, I mean, there are some rap and grime mm. songs like and not quite diss tracks like Eamon was saying I think he has moved away from that and this is the you know new mature storms he maybe Covid and lockdown has given him time to reflect upon everything upon his meteoric rise or maybe he's just grown up a bit but either way not what I expected from a Storms album for sure And the location for the recording is, is quite interesting as well Lauren um, it probably adds to the sort of atmosphere mm. that's on the album yeah, definitely. Apparently he um, recorded it on the remote OC Island, which is uh, an island in the Blackwater e- um, estuary in Essex that can only mm. be accessed at low tide, apparently. <laughs> so there's a recording studio there. Apparently he did a series of music camps with a team of world-class musicians and apparently the best producers, writers and artists in the world, according to him. So he did take himself away and, you know, lock himself away in a lot of ways. And I think that is definitely reflected in the sort of album that it is as well. Yeah. And as well as the very personal stuff, which is very much there in the track we listen to him and he doesn't shy away from the from the political on this album either. Absolutely not. Um, Like the title says it all, My Presidents Are Black. Um, I think it's personal. I think it's one of the, the album highlights. Uh 
he's never shied away from it. You know, this is the guy who endorsed former Labour leader Jeremy Corbyn, who uh, founded a scholarship for black students who attend Cambridge, uh, a publishing, uh, an imprint of Penguin to publish black authors. And uh, as he raps on uh, oh, my, my Presidents Are Black, is kind of like about, um, uh, there's a lovely line there, I could be a beetle if you let it be. I needed you to set me free. Black boy, fly, Black girl fly, we all fly. So it's very much about black empowerment and being British and black. Yeah, well, let's have a listen to a little bit of My Presence or Black, a little bit of language in the midst of this. Wouldn't know about the combos that we had to change the rules. Didn't know that I would give my arm and leg to help you move. Didn't know we're trying to implement our history through the schools. You can keep the gems, I give you jewels. Uh, We are the needle movers, we are the table shakers. They gotta move around us, cause nothing moves without us. It can't be you who found us, we don't need you to crown us. before my song, this is the mountain that I'm on. We set up shop but never close the shutter. I give you all the keys, no matter if we know each other. My brother, so that's Stormzy and the track My Presidents Are Black from his new album, This Is What I Mean. And and it, yes, he's very personal in the Heartbreak songs and it would sound, if those rumours are right about the sighting of this, himself with his former girlfriend, uh, the seductive uh, tracks may have done uh, the, the, the job intended. But politically, he's not afraid to say what he thinks on this album either, Lauren. Definitely not. And even, I mean, personally, apart from the heartache stuff, he he talks about his faith, which is clearly Mm. very important to him too. If you watch the recent very good interview that he did with Louis Theroux, that was made abundantly clear. And songs like Holy Spirit are a nod to that faith, you know, and he mentions God and the Lord a few times throughout the album. So, um as political as it is, it is personal as well. And he's not afraid to, you know, be open about that sort of stuff, which yeah. is great. And there's a kind of a gospel-y feel, particularly to that track, Holy Spirit, which is almost, mm. it's almost like a prayer as much mm. as it is a, a track on an album. Overall, what are you saying on this one, Lauren? And stars, please. Um, I really liked it. I don't think it's an experimental or era-defining album, <clears throat> excuse me, but it comes across, you know, as mostly a bid to win back his ex and it's that, that's completely okay too. Um, so I will give it four out of five. Four out of five. And what are you saying overall, Eamon? Overall, um, it probably lacks a banger like Vossi Bop or the urgency of the first album, but I think it's better than the second album and maybe not quite as good as the first album. So it's four out of five for me. Four out of five for you, but uh, high marks indeed from both Lauren and Eamon there for This Is What I Mean from Stormzy's. Let's move on to album number two. Anamika hails from Wicklow. As a child, cycled over the Pyrenees to Gibraltar, learned Maori songs while living in New Zealand and later traditional songs in Bulgaria. These influences and more are evident on her second album, Theatre. She was with us on the programme at our outside broadcast from Molly uh, for the launch of Winter Papers on Wednesday evening. Let's have a listen to a track called Current you are midnight, me, silent old. Am I better without? Can you tell? With or without this carousel, And that's uh, Coraline there from Anamika's new album, Theatre. And Eamon, uh, you were saying just as we were listening to that, she played that song live for us actually on Wednesday yeah. night at the, yeah. at the Outside Broadcast. She's a phenomenal performer live and that wonderful 
picking on the guitar was clear as a whistle. That, it sounded amazing. And okay, but. I wasn't in the room as you were, but like uh, on the airwaves, the, the broadcast sounded fantastic. Uh, she's clearly a, a wonderful live performer and she's in action in uh, Whelan's tonight. Um, the album, I think, is really, really beautiful, but I think probably there's a little bit uh, somewhat uniform in its tone, I found. That maybe not the same vibrancy of a performance for me anyway. It wasn't kind of uh, uh, coming across. Uh, but there's undoubtedly, I don't know what it is, but... Wicklow artists, there's a lot of them. Luan Pearl, Jose, Fionn Regan, Vivian mm. Long. There's something in the water in Wicklow when it comes to folk music and, you know, quality Irish uh, folk music coming out of the Garden of Ireland. Yeah, and certainly uh, there is a there is a folk feel to this album and an alt folk feel in there as well. But the, she also brings in saxophone. And we Ryan, Ryan Hardigan was with us on Wednesday night as well as part of her performance. There's saxophone in there, there are electronics in there, which kind of moves it into to different places. What kind of influences do you think are audible on the album, Lauren? Yeah, she cited people, I mean, as diverse as Talking Heads, the Mamas and the Papas, Orchestra, Bobab, Nusrat, Ali Khan, people like that. To me, um, as rooted as it is in Irish folk and trad, mm. she, I mean, you can hear other elements of disparate influences that she's gathered from the travels you mentioned, like you mentioned Gibraltar, New Zealand, Bulgaria. To me, it's really multi- multicultural and, and an international album. Um, and the songs go to, you know, really weird and wonderful places because of those musicians that she has playing with her as well. I mean, I think Matthew Jacobson, her um, drummer is primarily a jazz drummer and there's yeah. a really jazzy improvised flavour to a lot of the songs as well, which I loved. So um, it kind of caught me off guard. I wasn't expecting songs like, I wasn't expecting eight minute long songs on this <laughs> album, but they really go to, you know, great places with, with the improvised feel. Yeah, let's have a, a listen sure. to a little bit of a track called Mannequin. Still in a live while, still leave me to my own imagining. Well, just a little flavour of the track Mannequin there from Anna Mika and her new album Theatre. Uh, and we get a sense, Lauren, on that of the, the drumming that you're, you were talking about. It's, it's on that track as it, is, as it is on others. How did this album work uh, overall as a package for you? I really love this album. I, I feel like it's the sort of album to come back time and time again. You get something new every time. Mm. It's just really rich and warm and loads to uncover and just really interesting and easy to listen to because her voice is so beautiful as well. Um, so I absolutely loved it, I have to say. It's one of my favourite Irish albums of the year. Oh, right. So high, high praise indeed from you. Why does that translating into stars? I will go four out of five again. You're going yeah. four on this one. What are you saying overall, Eamon? Um, it's very impressive. I don't quite dig it as much as Lauren clearly does. Um, but having said that, I certainly would give it another go. It's a very solid three from me. A very solid three from you. And um, as you said, Eamon and Amika playing live in Whelan's tonight. I am um, trying to choose my playlist for Sunday's <laughs> Sean Rocks and Sunday on RT Lyric FM. And at the moment, it's a battle between Mannequin and Salt as to which one <laughs> I'm going to play. Both of which are very long songs and I won't have to fade them. They will get their full their full airplay if you want to hear that uh, at some point along the way on RT Lyric FM on Sunday I'll be playing it right let us move on to album number three Uh, yes album number three is Damien O'Neill's On Cron explain to us maybe remind Mm. us first of all Eamon a little bit about who we're talking about when we talk about Damien O'Neill Damien O'Neill is that kind of spiky haired lead guitarist in the undertones that's it he's 
best known mm. for, but he also was a founder member of That Petrol Emotion and he uh, has a band called The Everlasting Yeah. Uh, funnily enough, he was offered, uh, Kevin Rowland asked him to join Dexy Midnight Runners, which he turned down uh, to form That Petrol Emotion. And uh, this is his second solo album. He did one on Alan McGee's Pop Tones label, label back in 2000, uh, which was an electronic record. And this is very interesting. If you're expecting kind of spiky pop punk bangers in the style of the undertones, you've come to the wrong place. This is very much a very almost kind of soundtrack, acoustic, um, channeling kind mm. of like all sorts of stuff, really. It's, yeah, it's, it's really, well, yeah, well to, to give people a sense of what you're talking about, let's have a, listen to a little bit of Lament for Lachlan's Land, for, for Loch Island, Lachlan Island. So just a little flavour there of Lament for Lachlan Island from Damien O'Neill and his new album on Cran. Uh, Lauren, as Eamon was saying before we went into that piece, if you're if you're thinking you're going to get something to anything like the undertones when you get this album, you're not. Uh, how would you describe what he does? And again, it's it's the sort of music. It's it's difficult because we have to. Oh, we're only playing little excerpts. Or you really have to immerse yourself in this album. Yeah, I mean, it's it's very different to what you expect, like Eamon said. Um, it, it's just, I definitely get the soundtrack thing that Eamon mentioned as well. There is a soundtrack element to a lot of songs. Um, but to me, it's songs are so different. I mean, the opening track sounds like something from the swing in 60s. There's another song that, uh, La Tengo, that throws every instrument that you can possibly lay his hands on. It has a bass line, has marimba, sleigh bells, electric guitar. There's loads going on. And I really like that about the album, that it is so different from song to song. But I don't know how cohesive that makes it. I really did like it, but it didn't maybe work as well as an album as well as um, you know mm. other albums would it's more like it's a separate collection of songs but very well played yeah. songs and very well taught true songs yeah and I must say again some songs on this that are quite lengthy and La Tango is knocking at the door for a possible play mm. on Sunday mm. afternoon mm. on the, the programme as well yeah, yeah, yeah it is, yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. so it, it might make, it might be squeezing its way in there as well overall Lauren stars from you three out of five for me three out of five and what are you saying uh, Eamon um I really, really like it. And it's funny enough, as Lauren was saying about the, about the, the Anamique record being one of her favourite Irish albums of the year, this this would do it for me. I'll go four. All right. So yeah, we had two potential favourite albums of the year and then uh, from different people, of course, on Crown by Damien O'Neill in the case of Eamon Sweeney, uh, Theatre by Anamika in the case of Lauren Murphy, our two reviewers this evening. And both of them were very happy as well with Stormzy's <laughs> This Is What I Mean. That is our lot for this Friday evening and indeed for this week here on Arena.